What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod, the daily podcast brought to you by the team behind Squawk Box. NYC, this is CNBC Control 2. CNBC's Essential Morning Show. PCR 2. Every day, get the best stories, debate, and analysis from the biggest names in business and politics. Uh, we're coming to it next. Today on Squawk Pod, WeWork's executive chairman and the chief operating officer of its main backer, SoftBank. What do you think the lesson was for him in terms of the investment and to the extent that you think it went wrong? Maybe the lack of involvement that we had in the business the complete and open trust to an entrepreneur. Squawk fans sent us their questions about the coronavirus on Twitter. Former FDA Commissioner Dr. Scott Gottlieb responds to those tweets. Probably the way this is transmitting most efficiently is through touch. People touching right. surfaces or having dirty hands and then touching their face. The best thing you could do is keep your hands clean. And a big night at the Oscars. I'm going to make my joke. How did Parasite win when there was no host? Those stories, plus a few more. I'm CNBC producer Cameron Costa. It's Monday, February 10th. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand under by in three, two, one. Hugh Andrew. Good morning. Welcome to Squawk Box right here on CNBC. We're live at the NASDAQ market side of Times Square. I'm Andrew Ross Sorkin along with Joe Kernan and Mike Santoli. Becky's off today. Stephanie Link is here. She, of course, is a CNBC contributor, giving us uh, all her views. Among on the other things. Among other, other, I mean, that's not her. Doesn't it's not her. Mine, her. <laughs> well, uh, it's her highest. It's her it highest. It might be her highest. Thing. I don't know what it's the most highest. proud. I'm most proud. We asked you to tweet us your questions about the coronavirus. Now we have the doctor in the house. Scott Gottlieb is here to answer them. He's the former FDA commissioner, board member of Pfizer and Illumina, and uh, a CNBC contributor. It's your highest ranking, I know. We want to start with this question. Um, I keep hearing things about the limits of data collection, specifically the lack of enough testing kits. Have authorities already run up against that limit, or is that still in the future? What are we doing to grow testing capacity? Well, in China, they seem to be limited. And if you notice, the reporting is pretty um, steady day to day, right? So they, it, it appears that in Wuhan, in that province, in the Hubei province, they can do about 6,000 tests a day on specimens. So that you end up sending two or three specimens per patient. So you figure they're running about three to 4,000 tests a day on patients. And right. so that's why you're probably seeing the 3,000 reporting. In the U.S., CDC forward shipped 200 test kits to laboratories here in, in the United States. Their right. state and local health labs. Each kit can test seven to 800 samples. Okay. You figure per patient, you might send in two or three samples. So we could test probably 50,000 okay. cases now. We got another question for you. This is coming from a viewer. Uh, China has reported uh, coronavirus outbreaks of two uh, for two weeks uh, due to uh, everyday numbers. Do you think that they have contained the virus, or too early to tell? Are there USDC people on the ground in China to help them and get more information. We don't have Americans on the ground yet as health officials. I mean, right. I'm sure we have people collecting intelligence. This doesn't appear to be contained in China. And now Singapore appears to have sustained community spread as well. So I think we're starting to see epidemic spread in other countries now. And we're just now beginning to detect that. Okay. Our third question. What is the likelihood of a pandemic of this illness here in the United States? People, including myself, are concerned that officials are not being completely truthful as uh, not to hurt global markets. 
Well, we're not. We're probably not at a pandemic yet. Pandemic means epidemic spread in more than right. two continents. We're pro- we probably have some community transmission right now that we're not detecting. So certainly not thousands of cases, but there's probably dozens right. of cases right now. Okay. Uh, does it transmit only through water droplets, cough, sneeze, um, surfaces, things like that, um, or through the air? Much talk about negative pressure rooms. Yeah, probably the way this is transmitting most efficiently is through touch. People touching right. surfaces or having dirty hands and then touching their face. It does transmit through aerosol, but you have to be pretty close to people to get aerosol transmission. Right. So you, the best thing you could do is keep your hands clean. Okay, we got another. Is it possible for the virus to be transmitted via goods shipped from China? Unlikely. I mean, that's called fomites. It's unlikely to survive on a surface long enough. It's probably hours, not days, right. in terms of how okay, it survives. And then the question that I heard over and over again this weekend including from some doctors who said, you know what, the flu in the United States or in the world is terrible. How much more terrible is this? Well, I I don't think it's a good comparison. I mean, they're both bad. This could be worse. Uh, The case fatality rate for the flu is 0.1. This looks like it might be as high as 1%. It's probably going to settle between 0.2 and 0.5%. It does appear that between 5 and 10% of people who get this get a severe pneumonia. And the bigger concern here, or the biggest concern, is this looks highly contagious. And so the flu, what we call the r naught, meaning the number of new cases for every case you have is around 1.3. This might be as high as 4, but it looks like it's going to be somewhere between 2 or 3. So this could, this could spread much more efficiently. And this, do protease inhibitors work? Can we, can we, is there anything we can use that, that really minimizes the symptoms and, and stacks the deck in your favor to, to, that you're going to recover? Right. I think we should be able to find an antiviral. Um, well, something we already have, maybe, right? We might have one already. The, the question is that if you introduce an antiviral in someone who already has severe disease, is it too late? Do you already have enough viral replication that simply interrupting further viral replication isn't going to provide a therapeutic benefit? And that's what we're going to figure out. Because okay. after you have a lot of viral antigen, the inflammatory response has already taken over. Do you think we'll know more in in a few days because the 14-day incubation period is over for a lot of the original people? I think we'll probably start turning over the card on outbreaks here in the U.S. towards the end of the month. Um, okay. Maybe in the next couple of weeks we'll start to detect it. Singapore has as many China travelers as the United States, and they clearly have sustained community transmission right now. So there's no reason to think that we didn't have introduction to cases here that went undetected. Okay. Thank you. Thanks a lot. L Brands nearing a deal to sell its Victoria's Secret brand to private equity firm Sycamore Partners. People familiar with the deal telling CNBC could be announced as soon as this week. No word yet on what leadership role L Brands CEO Les Wexner would have in such a deal. Wexner has been under mounting pressure due to his ties, of course, with Jeffrey Epstein. He's been accused of creating a culture of misogyny at Victoria's Secret, particularly uh, that New York Times piece published last week uh, called angels in hell. He's also been criticized for the poor performance of the company's flagship brand and really the transition or their miss on the transition in terms of what would be appealing uh, to their audience. And uh, they're going through that transition right now. What do you think? Can Victoria's Secret ever be Victoria's Secret uh, uh, of yore? Not necessarily in terms of the image, but in terms of the sales. Just by by definition. So massively, uh, it just was not... The execution was terrible at the company. Well, just talking about the bigger point about whether it's misogynistic. I mean, by definition, is objectification and everything else. It's a different world, and, and you go back to the whole history of, of Victoria's Secrets, and it just looks 
like it doesn't fit in 2020. But same with, I know, no, the stock is a different story, but, but Miss Universe Pet and everything else you, we look at with a different um, sort of a, a viewpoint at, at this point. And I, underst- I understand that, but as an investor, there's a lot of money okay, to be made Okay, well, let's here. talk about that. Our guest host, Stephanie Link, owns, you own the I shares did. of L Brands. Where'd I, you buy it? I actually bought it a couple of weeks ago, so I didn't get it at the lows. But remember, this stock was a $100 stock in 2015. It was $61 at the beginning of 2018. So it has lost a major amount of value uh, because it has been mismanaged. I, I bought it because I thought there were a couple of ways that you could win. Either the management executes better or you have an activist in there, Barrington. He would stir up that they would stir up the pot a little bit. They could do asset sales. They could split up this company. I have a sum of the parts analysis that gets this to $30, $32. So from here, I think you can still make money. But they, they can do better in terms of inventory management and cost controls. There's a lot of things that they can do that will have this stock win over the long term. Don't you think there's a perception that it's like a blockbuster or a GameStop or it's like anachronistic? It's it's in a business. I mean, are are you still going to buy things like that? Maybe you will. Maybe If they sell Victoria's Secret, they've got Bath and Body Works, and that's the gem of the story for the last couple of years. Do they need to get a decent price for Victoria's Secret? No, no, I don't think so. I mean, I could, as I said, some of the parts, I could get you, you know, three times EBITDA, and that gets you a $32 stock. Which is super cheap, yeah. Super cheap. Super I guess my question, times. too, is, is Bath & Body Works, it's now at a scale where it, it could be a standalone public company. Yes. But will it be, do you think? Do you think that'll survive as a, as a public instrument? I think it could. I think it could. I mean, they've done a really good job in terms of product innovation, and this is the area that they actually have executed, but there's still more that they can do, right? And as I said, like, there's a lot in terms of inventory management and cost control, supply chain, that kind of thing, that they can really help um, grow the earnings. Um, and, and again, you have the products, you have the top line. You've been to a, we've never gone there, right? To a, a Bath and Body Works. We, not in a very long time, no. No, but I mean, can you get everything there? Do they have it at Bed Bath & Beyond? Is it different? Then we go, we hang out. It's totally different. Totally different. So we should check it out? You should check it out. On rainy uh, Saturday. They have good candles, I think. There are a lot of candles. A lot of candles. A lot of, yeah. you know, skin care, creams, stuff that like kind that. of thing. Oh, I like that and, stuff, yeah. you know, I mean, the Gen Z, they like that. I got to tell you, well, you have mm-hmm. all these candles all over the place in we my house. Some. We need candles and moisturizer. Gen Z. Yes. Which ones are they? They don't young. even. Huh? They're teenagers now. They don't even. We're the ones that need skin cream. What, what do they need? Uh, <laughs> Actually, it is a big paradox. Nice. Right? No. They're doing, my, my, yeah, facials and everything right? else. Oh, that's all that they do, yeah. right? Yeah. And they don't care so much about cosmetics. They care yeah. more about skin care, which oh, is well, why Estee Lauder just yeah. posted a 28% growth rate. We, we in, do care about cosmetics uh, around here. Everybody. Uh, that is in a cab in New York already knows this. What's that? About the gasoline prices. I paid... Because I already did the cab read where I've already said this. I know what I'm going to say. That the average price of gasoline fell seven cents. Yeah, but I was going to say... For your minivan. I paid paid $2.99 yesterday. Did you drive like 20 miles to get the $2.99? Because that's self-defense. I've done that. No, it was a lot. It was oh, it was a lot. Oh, I thought it was cheap. You think two ninety nine is cheap compared yeah. to the average? No, but the yeah, but average—that's the national average. I know, you but you think New York two ninety nine is a good deal? Yes. I was saying to my wife, "Do you think this is a good deal?" Because it was on the highway, Don't you? and sometimes I think on the highway they were able to rip you off because there's nowhere to go except on the highway. Don't you get ninety three octane for that silhouette? You got that old? Is it an Oldsmobile silhouette? What do you have? You're like Danny DeVito, right? You, that's that's the Cadillac we have, we of don't minivans. Have a minivan. We have. A Highlander. I know you do. I know what you think is like a minivan. However, I want you to know the Sorkin family is going to get, I think, 
I heard, yeah. The Chrysler Pacific. I do. <laughs> <laughs> and I want you to know, they just came out with a new How do you one. Even they know announced it? one last week. How do you even know what that, that is? It has all-wheel drive. Yeah. It just Va- came out. Vacuum cleaner? It has a vacuum cleaner in it. And it has moon roofs and all sorts of cool stuff. A new 10-inch screen in the front. Do you care what color and we're it is? I'm so thrilled about getting Do they have a hybrid or an electric or They anything? do make a hybrid, but I don't know if they make a hybrid with the all-wheel drive. And we, it's the all-wheel drive is the new piece of it, that, which is what we were waiting for. Because we, you know, in the snow, East Coast, that kind of thing. I mean... Up in Connecticut when we... You unless know, you get a hybrid... You can't I'm just get, telling you. You can't get that bumper sticker that says, I'm better than you... And you, but by you the way, have that on the back. is a minivan. There's no splitting. Here. I know, but I'm, we're thrilled about <laughs> yeah, it. That's fine. What it's color? Just what color would you get? I think we go just straight black. Don't you think? I don't know. We can that, even get it, like that looks they'll like even do like the grills blacked out, so you could try to look really cool. Oh boy. What no. are you usually on? You're usually on the halftime report. I am. You're looking around in disbelief that we talk about this. <laughs> She's like, I'm just thinking lower gas prices. You know I'm thinking on? that's good for the consumer. I'm looking what? at my retail stocks. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm just thinking. In, in, anyway, the new national average is two dollars. I'm paying way too much. I'm paying way too much. I'm paying way too much. a gallon. Cheese will be next. Coming up, uh, the Oscars making history last night with Parasite coming home like a horse for me, becoming the first (laughs) non-English language film to take the top prize. Three to one odds. Hello, I'm Laura Castleton, U.S. Head of Portfolio Construction and Strategy at Janice Henderson Investors. Is a brighter future possible? At Janice Henderson, we think it is. For 90 years, we've worked to help clients achieve superior financial outcomes and fulfill our purpose of investing in a brighter future together. We know that this means our thinking and our investments are helping to shape millions of brighter futures for the next 90 years and beyond. To learn more, go to JaniceHenderson.com. This is Squawk Pod with Joe Kernan, Andrew Ross Sorkin, Mike Santoli, and Stephanie Link. Here's Joe. History uh, was made at the Oscars last night because I actually saw um, about an hour of it before I, uh, I retired, in. actually. Um, I want to tell you about this because then I'm going to make it all about me again. But, but, just, but let me start with this. So South Korea's Parasite took top honors uh, for Best Picture. It's the first time a non-English film claimed the award. Uh, Parasite also won Best Director, Original Screenplay, uh, and International Film. And I, I would just say this, that I... I was unable to, to do DraftKings out in California, okay? So when I got so back... So betting on the Oscars. I bet on the Oscars with my son's advice. I, I was unable to figure out a parlay. He wanted me to do uh, best um, original screenplay, yep. and he wanted me to do JoJo. Everything he told me to do, including my bet on Parasite for Best Picture, Andrew. So you won. Three to one. Wow. Three to one odds. Guess what? If you bet $25 on Brad Pitt winning uh, Best Supporting Actor, guess how much you won? $25.75. That was not a good bet. It was a good bet, but it's not uh, worth it, obviously. But I did win three to one. I'm, he, he got every single thing See, right. Now you're going to get into the Oscars, the Emmys, and all these awards. If you can bet on it, I'm going to get into it. Yeah. I'm going to get it. I'll, I'll even put up with the insipid speeches uh, yeah. that come out about cow insemination and, uh, you know, whatever. Uh, anyway, and I have, I have some comments about this. Netflix went into the night with the most nominations, with 24, but won just two trophies. Uh, Laura Dern won for Netflix's Marriage Story. And then American Factory uh, won Best Documentary. That has something to do with the Obamas. Uh, I guess they produced it. They produced the film. It was, okay. a very, it was actually a very good film. It's fascinating. Right. Disney, Sony, and South Korea's CJ Entertainment each won 
uh, for trophies. And I was talking to Mike about this. So yes. I saw the Irishman right. in the theater. Yes. And I, I wanted to see those four guys I was excited about. It. And I, I liked it for three and a half hours. OK. And I liked it. I yes. thought it was good. Now it's on Netflix. And I said, you know what? I'm going to it's a Saturday. I'm going to I think I'm going to watch the Irishman. I guess there's a watch movie. And I watched about a half hour of it. And I said, you know what? I can't do this. So it's a, it's a tough commitment. Yeah, I've, I'm in the a, same boat because I saw it in the. So it should well. not. So it came with a lot of fanfare. It's going to win everything. It's going to be best. And by the time we got to the Oscars, it's like people were. It wasn't even in the running for for best picture. It was 1917, it's Parasite. And nothing. Yeah, I know. Not, as, it's as long as a football game. Right. And people watch nothing more than they watch. And, and I knew games. nothing was going to happen. Even when I wait till the end, because I had already seen it. By the way, we say it's bad for Netflix, but I know we're going to talk about this, but it's actually also on a net basis, all the big U.S. studios got blank because Parasite was not produced here or distributed. See, now I'm going to make my joke. How did Parasite win when there was no host for the Oscars? Very good. Anyway, uh, Parasite. (laughs) I'm laughing. Ed got it. I'm laughing. Smiling. There's a smile fake smile. All right. No host. There was no host. I, I, for the, I know that. You can't have a parasite without a host. It just sits there on, on glass. Ah, uh, uh, see? You didn't get it. You didn't get it. You did not get it. You did not get it till now. You did not. You don't listen. You did not get it till now. That's good. Give me a piece. Let me draw a picture. Yeah. For you. Anyway, <laughs> joining us now for a look at the other winners and losers and what the awards mean for the studios. Cynthia Littleton was laughing. Cynthia was laughing. Variety business editor at Ed Lee, New York Times, corporate media reporter and a CNBC contributor. Um, so much. There's different nuances here. I, I, I mean, we talked about Netflix. I still think there's there, people do not like that. The voters don't like them because they're you think disruptive. they were voting against I think Netflix they, I think it's more disruptive. so than they were voting against I think Scorsese the and the Irishman. The Hollywood status quo, I think, still doesn't. Maybe not as much in this case, but. I think they could have won last year or the year before with something, and, and they didn't because And they that. didn't, or usually with Oscars, they kind of spread around the love, right? You sort of, you know, you get, you get best screenplay here, best director there, best picture. You kind of spread it around. No, Parasite, out of nowhere. I mean, I've been told that the odds, they, they had some odds in favor of them, but uh, I still no, was surprised to one. by that. I told you it was three to one, and I won. I told you, you, won, you won, but it wasn't the odds son. on favor. Did you see it yet? was the... Did you see Parasite? I did. It's, a, it's the only film I saw in oh, that lineup. Is? I liked it. Yeah, I liked I it. Okay, it but were good. you a little surprised at some of the stuff that happened, though? I was like, well, no. So that way, it was it was a very good movie. It was surprising. It was refer- you know, sort of, and the topic, you know, sort of the the, the, right. the economic inequality and, and class living this caste system, and, and, yeah, class warfare, exactly. which some argue is the situation here as well. So, um, but in terms of studios and monies, and Netflix spent what 170 million to make The Irishman. It was a huge, huge push for them. They're moving more into feature films, into high budget films, into prestige films, and uh, yeah, I don't know. It's hard not to read that as Netflix got snubbed in some way. Yeah. Um, and how much of it was Netflix versus Scorsese? I thought The Irishman was very actually. Well, the Irishman was the other one. Really, right. well, Marriage Story, the... another Netflix, didn't really land in terms of yeah. you know where it was supposed to win either in terms of the Let's screenplay. Get, see, or, so what, what did uh, what, when you were watching? What really struck you last night? I mean, it, I, I think what Ed said. It really did strike me that it, it, it it's hard to see the results and not think that there was a large body of people that just were sort of like. Not yet Netflix. And, you know, perhaps there was just an element of of maybe just trying a little too hard on Netflix's part. And I think you saw some of that in the groundswell of uh, sort of a the, the parasite story really was sort of a grassroots 
slow build of true admiration for a very unique and just a very innovative form of filmmaking from a from a wildly fresh voice. I think that was the kind of that was the kind of movie that Hollywood wanted to get behind this year. I, I'm, I'm actually curious what you think about this, Cynthia, since you cover this so much more closely than I do. But the Oscars itself, you know, I was talking to Max back right. then. You know, it has changed, right? It used to be more that the films that won were, they were kind of big budget films and maybe not huge blockbusters, but were big at the box office, big enough that you knew what these films were. Probably in the past decades, decade or so, it's changed. It's shifted more to, you have like Moonlight winning, a few years ago, um, and Parasite now. So it seems like they're really voting more with sort of an artist's eye, right? I think Parasite won the Palme d'Or this year at, at Cannes, yep. and now Best Picture. I think that hasn't happened in you know decades in terms of both a Palme d'Or, which is typically sort of the artist high-end film, and then you know the, the Academy Awards, which is more sort of the box office cheered film as well as it's a good one. So mm. I think the Oscars itself has changed. Does it matter when you release the films? I think it matters in terms of it's in the minds of Academy voters. And right. then usually the, the prestige, the ones you want to win, get released towards the end of the year. So that once they're voting in January, February, that they're, you know, it's in their minds. I don't know how Cynthia feels yeah. about it. But. All right. I think, one quick comment, Cynthia. We're, we're out of time. I think one issue for the Oscars is there's so many award shows. By the time these people are collecting their prizes, we've heard from them. That's going to be a continued issue for them going forward. And this year, it sped up the whole season. Yeah, it was a short, yeah. short window. Yeah. They wrote a whole piece about it. All right, thank you both. Uh, thanks, Ed. Thanks, Cynthia. I, I can just tell you, when screenplay, it hit screenplay, then it hit director. And I, you knew that suddenly was I was feeling yeah. really good. Well, you had money that on part. it, right? Coming up on Squawk Pod, WeWork's executive chairman and the chief operating officer of WeWork's main backer, SoftBank. An exclusive interview on what's next for the embattled company. When you ask about WeWork, Basically, your plan calls for us to be profitable by 2021, okay. EBITDA profitable, cash flow positive by 2022, and approximately $1 billion of free cash by 2024. We'll be right back. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. So you need a business partner just like you. Like FedEx, who understands your passion for serving your customers because they have the same commitment towards you. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. What's more, FedEx Ground is faster to more locations than UPS Ground. Trust FedEx for timely deliveries. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively FedEx. Support for this program is provided by Chevron. Methane management is a critical part of achieving a lower carbon future. Chevron is taking action to keep methane in the pipe. Their 2028 upstream methane intensity target is set to be 53% below the 2016 baseline. They're committed to evolving facility designs and operating practices. And they've trialed over 13 advanced detection technologies, including drones and satellites. That's energy in progress. Learn more at chevron.com methane. Welcome back to Squawk Pod. WeWork had a tumultuous 2019. In January, the WeWork hype on Wall Street and from then-CEO Adam Newman was alive and well. WeWork is always ready for an IPO. 
By August, the company had filed its S-1 with the SEC, signaling that the IPO was imminent. And in September, Masasan, CEO of SoftBank, WeWork's main backer, was optimistic too. I still want to invest more and I want to increase. Uh, some of my investors said, Masa, you, you get too excited and too much concentration into one company. Don't go too far too much. But by October, that IPO plan, the company's $47 billion private valuation and its founder's reputation had pretty much unraveled culminating in Newman's departure and over $10 billion in rescue financing from SoftBank. That bailout gave SoftBank 80% of the company, and part of the deal, naming Chief Operating Officer of SoftBank, Marcelo Clore, Executive Chairman of WeWork to manage the company's turnaround. On February 1st, a few months after Marcelo took the reins, WeWork announced a new CEO, Sandeep Mathrani. He's an interesting choice mainly because he's a real estate industry veteran, which means WeWork is now presenting itself as a real estate company, a decided change from Newman's leadership, which positioned WeWork more like a tech startup. Sandeep and Marcelo have a lot of work to do, and Marcelo's job isn't just climbing out of the hole WeWork finds itself in. All of this WeWork drama has coincided with SoftBank's attempt to raise over $100 billion for its second vision fund, an attempt that, according to reports, may not pan out. Companies like Uber, Slack, and DoorDash benefited big time from SoftBank's first vision fund. If the second one doesn't raise as much money as the first, tech startups might feel the effects. In other SoftBank news, activist hedge fund investor Elliott Management just announced a $2.5 billion stake in SoftBank, betting that Masasun's company is undervalued and adding to the mounting scrutiny on the company and on its billionaire leader. So today, Andrew left the Squawk Box studio in Times Square and sat down in WeWork's headquarters in Manhattan with executive chairman Marcelo Clore. So much to talk about, uh, given uh, what's happened with WeWork and, and where it's come and where it's going. I think the biggest question on people's minds is how you think you're going to make money doing this. You have 10 plus, maybe 15 with, with debt into this company. I think it's now valued at something on the order of $7.98 billion, at least on the books. At one point, people talked about this as a $40-plus billion valuation company. How, how, how does this work? Just walk us through the math. Okay. First, uh, uh, we work as a sustainable business. We, over the course of the last 100 days, we've put together a five-year plan that includes basically looking at every single building and, and, and putting the financial forecast of every building. And the five-year plan is a great plan. It comes down to execution. And or let me take a step back and let me tell you how we, how SoftBank looks at it. First, it's an enormous market. And the commercial real estate business is large. Secondly, we have a plan that I'll talk to you about it. We have a fully funded plan, which is quite important. You know, there's sufficient between debt and equity. Pretty much, the plan is funded, and we will have an excess of two and a half to three billion dollars in excess liquidity. And fourth, we have a great new leader. Now, when you ask about WeWork. Basically, our plan calls for us to be profitable by 2021, okay, EBITDA profitable, cash flow positive by 2022, and approximately $1 billion of free cash by 2024. So we have a plan, and now it comes down to execution. We have, we're going to have our first $1 billion quarter in 2020, and we're going to have 1,000 buildings this year. So it's a large business in which scale is a competitive advantage. In terms of the valuation, how do you get back into the money? Well, you get back into the money by, by having a clear plan and start to executing. When you look at 2020, 
it's a huge inflection point. Pretty much everything is 50% better than last year. And then when you get to 2021, you're even a positive. When but, you're looking but in at- terms of valuation, in terms of multiple, one of the big questions for a company like this is, does it get a tech valuation? Does it get some kind of step up in terms of how it's being valued? Or is it effectively going to get valued like every other real estate company? This is not a. This is not a, a real estate. Is an underlay. It's an underlying part of our business. But this is a combination of technology, a combination of amazing buildings with great design, as you can see with the, with the community around it. So this is, you know, we, we can never say this is not a real estate business. It has a real. It has comp? a real estate component. What's the comp? Well, it depends on the growth. It depends. At the end of the day, all businesses are going to be valued on your ability to generate free cash. I don't care if it's a tech business, a real estate business. And when you have a business today with a clear line of sight that will generate over a billion dollars of free cash, high growth, then I believe this will be a business that will provide a substantial return to our initial investment that SoftBank made. Okay, let me ask you a question. This is uh, from your boss, Masasan. Back in November, he said, in the case of WeWork, I made a mistake. I won't make any excuses. It was a very harsh lesson. What was the lesson for you? What do you think the lesson was for him in terms of the investment and to the extent that you think it went wrong? Maybe the lack of involvement that we had in the business, the complete and open trust to an entrepreneur who did a good job in terms of building a scale business. We're talking about Adam Newman. Yes. Now we are a lot more involved with all of our businesses. We have active board members in, in all of our businesses. So I think that's, you know, that's what I'm, I'm massively referring to the mistake. What, what we're not saying is that this business is a mistake. By no means, this is a great business. Great business. If you go, this is the only area that hasn't moved to an on-demand uh, business. I mean, today you can order a desk pretty much from your phone. Think about it. Otherwise, you can go to an office building. They're going to ask you to sign a five-year lease. You're going to have to get a builder, a contractor, and all that. Today you can go to your phone, you can go to an app, and you can sign a three-month, a six-month, a one-year lease. So this was the last part of the world in which the on-demand economy really hasn't had an effect. And today... I mean, you can see the growth. There's very few businesses in the world, I was in, in, the, in, in, this type of a, in this type of business, where we've grown from 200 buildings in 2017. At the end of this year, we're going to have over 1,000 buildings. And these are large buildings. They house 1,000 people. So therefore, uh, I mean, it's a great business. It's high growth. Our customers love it. It has a great brand. So I could not be more positive in the future we work. You talk to Adam Newman? Rarely. Rarely. Yeah. Not, not that much anymore. I mean, you know, Adam calls and right. he, he gives us his opinion. And what does he think of all of this? Oh, I, I think he's very excited. He's very excited that the, build, the business is transitioning from, you know, a high growth uh, to a more, I would say, more disciplined business with accountability and with a more mature leadership. I know you've been asked this a lot, especially by employees in this company. But just speak to it. And I know you've tried to speak to it before. The idea of Adam effectively walking away with more than a billion dollars after what felt like uh, a, a massive failure in terms of the larger valuation of this company during the IPO process. Good. So let's start by saying that Adam hasn't walked away with over a billion dollars. There's a tender ongoing right now in which Adam will have the right to participate as other shareholders. Adam is a large shareholder of the company. He was the founder. And as we do a tender to buy shares from other shareholders, He's going to have the same opportunity as any other shareholder. But to say that Adam has walked away with over a billion dollars is totally false. Do you think you could have cut a different or better deal so that he, at least optically, these questions wouldn't exist? 
I mean, I think it's, it's easy to go back and say, what would a deal be like? What we're saying is SoftBank expressed an interest in owning a larger part of a SoftBank, of a WeWork, right. and Adam is a large shareholder. So as you do a tender to buy shares, he has an option to participate. We have no idea how much he plans to sell, and that's what people speculate of how much he can potentially walk away with. But Adam had not walked away with a billion dollars. Uh, you just hired a new CEO, uh, mm-hmm. comes from the real estate world. Does that change the culture of WeWork? Because, and this goes to, is this a tech company? Is this a real estate company? Is this something else? Okay. First, we hired a leader, right? A great leader who's probably done one of the most amazing turnarounds in the retail industry, GGP, right. which, as you know, he took it from bankruptcy and sold it for tens of billions of dollars to Brookfield. That was a transformational leader. The company has a great culture. And uh, there was a lot that had to do, a lot of innovation in order to transform that retail business. It's a very similar play here. So we got to get away from the tech. Is it a tech business? Is it a real estate business? WeWork has its own space. It's a unique company. But part it's a of space it is the special sauce of something that, that elevates it. Beyond. To the extent that it's not a real estate business, there was this sort of special cultural sauce that was layered on top that actually created that excitement and to the extent it created a higher valuation, no? I mean, the excitement doesn't change. All you have to do is go to a WeWork building and when you find the combination of amazing real estate with amazing design, with technology and with community, that's a special place for WeWork. Right. It is not your traditional real estate that you're renting an empty box and then right. you design it yourself. This is a service company in which you're walking in, you walk and you have all the services available for you as a member to focus on doing your job and then let everything else right. be served by WeWork. Long term, you're going to have more leases. You're going to have other people. You're going to be servicing other people's leases. How, does, how do you think this? What do you think this looks like? Combination of many. I mean, first we have a thousand leases. There's nobody in the world that has a thousand leases today, all over the world, in 140 cities, in I think over 37 countries. The scale you allow, you can be a WeWork member right. in Boston and then be able to work in 140 cities. But you wouldn't have world. less leases over time. Not necessarily. We got to we got to make sure that we onboard these buildings, that the 1,000 buildings that we have are profitable, are doing a good job, and then we're going to continue to grow in different facets. We might do more management deals. We're talking about potentially doing franchising, and we're going to continue to open new buildings in great cities. The same type of business that we have, but the sustainable business is solid. It is a business that generates cash, and it's a business that's profitable. Uh, coronavirus. Uh, you have a number, actually, I think 100 different WeWorks in China. What's happening right now? Well, we, we are being, first, we wanted to make sure that no members and no employees are infected. And that's great. That's a great win. We've been following the guidelines of the Chinese government. We have closed, we have temporarily closed 100 buildings and we're monitoring and working right. with the Chinese government to make sure that we're following the appropriate guidelines. So that's contained for us. But obviously, it's an area of concern. I mean, having 100 buildings closed with members not having access to and just working with emergency personnel, it's an issue. Um, let me ask you about SoftBank. And specifically, the second vision fund. Uh, There have been reports that it has been very hard to raise new money for that fund and that instead of a $108 billion fund, it might come in at half of that and that a majority of that money is ultimately going to be soft bank money, not outside investor money. What can you say about the state of, of, of that fundraising effort? So one is too early, right? I mean, you've got to put things in perspective. We just finished vision fund one. That was $100 billion two years had never been done. So now as this fund starts to finish, then we're looking at how we're going to do Ambition Fund 2. 
Uh, obviously, performance is key, and, and Vision Fund One performance. Once you start getting away from the media and the craziness and all that, you know the fund is performing well. You know we, we've had a lot of complaints about Uber. Well, Uber is up, I think, 18% from what we invested. We have complaints against WeWork. We feel very good that we have a great plan for WeWork. So I think as, as things start to come down. And you start seeing that Uber was a good investment. Ride sharing has an incredible amount of potential. That WeWork has a plan and we start executing quarter over quarter. You're going to see that potentially, you know, the additional vision fund, you know, are going to come along. But you know, you know we're long-term thinkers. And uh, when we launched the first $100 billion fund, it was supposed to last five years. So but we've accelerated that. that. strategy is shifting. Do you think there's a major strategy shift in terms of SoftBank and Moss's own thinking in terms of growth at any cost? versus trying to get to profitability much quicker and what that ultimately means. And also means, by the way, about the sort of outsized valuations that I think he's thought about as a long-term investor. I don't think it's never been growth at any cost. I think that's a misconception. You know, we like accelerated growth. We like companies that can take, you know, a lot of market share. And we like companies that have a clear path to profitability and cash flow, just like any other investment. You've got to look at the entire track record of SoftBank, right? Oh, got, but got, there have been conversations over the past couple of months with portfolio companies that have said, okay, guys, I know, I know we said put your foot on, the, foot on the gas, but maybe we've got to put our foot on the brake, right? I wouldn't call it the brake. I would say you decelerate. There are different times. But again, I mean, nothing has changed in terms of we believe that there are certain companies and certain entrepreneurs that have developed unique business models that you get accelerate the growth. Happened with Alibaba, happens with Yahoo Japan, happened with many of our companies. What, what I think is, uh, you know, the, what I, I think we're a little confused is everybody's saying, oh my God, this vision fund uh, performance is terrible. It's not. By the way, it's great. You know, you've had eight IPOs. You've, the, re, the value that has been uh, generated, half of it is realized. Most of the funds, the values is still on paper. We've returned money towards LPs. And at the same time, the two big criticisms of the vision fund has been what? Uber. Well, guess what? You're following Uber. Uber is up over our investment, and we have a tremendous amount of, of, uh, of good views on what's going to happen to Uber. And the second was WeWork, and now after 100 days, we have a very clear plan on how to take WeWork to profitability. Well, what about this idea of paper-based valuations? Because part of the issue, frankly, with WeWork was the idea that effectively there was this artificial valuation of $47 billion, in part because SoftBank put money in after its own money. And so how accurate are all of the, are all of the marks in the, in the SoftBank funds? Oh, they're very accurate. I mean, you have to look at, you know, funds are going to move up and down in value in many cases. The only difference is because we're a publicly traded company, we get to report on that. I mean, most funds don't have the problem. They have to report on a quarterly basis on, on, on what is happening to their, to their markups and all that. I think we are conservative today. I think, you know, every valuation is done by an independent third party, by one of the big five, and they're based on the traditional methodology in which you value companies in future, in discounted cash flow and others. So I, I don't think it's a fair way to look at it. Of course, there are going to be some investments that are great and some that are not so great. But again, I go back and I say, focus on what has been the criticism, Uber and WeWork. Those have been the two that everybody has talked about, and we feel incredibly comfortable of both. Paul Singer, Elliott Management. Um Longtime activist. He's gotten into a lot of companies over the years and he's pushed people around. Um, what is the relationship like now between Elliott and SoftBank now that he has a stake in that company and is calling for changes? Start. I mean, we, we, we have our own activist. It's called Massa, who's continuous looking for ways to make this business better. And we, since we said since day one, you know, a, any shareholder that has 
views. We're always going to listen. We know Massa is a pretty open person. The management team of, of SoftBank is open. And we're always going to listen to suggestions because we're all in the same, you know, we're on the same boat. We all want to make sure that we can generate but, uh, but are, shareholder but value. But buybacks and, and financial engineering things that Massa wants to, wants to pursue? I think it depends. I mean, if you go back last year, we did a large stock right. buyback. And it depends. Isn't that antithetical, though, to his idea about making long-term investments? I think it depends on the situation. By no means are we saying we're going to do something we're okay. not. There's a new shareholder who basically has some views. We will take his views. We will discuss their views. And we will, right. we will like we do it with any other shareholder. Final question uh, on Sprint. You, you, have, you wear multiple hats. Uh, the Sprint T-Mobile deal. Uh, we're still waiting on the judge. When do you think we're going to hear so it's been two years, and first is thank you to all my employees at Sprint for their incredible resilience through this time. It's up to the judge. Right now, he has all he needs to make a decision. We expect the decision to come any time, but there again, he can take his time. So we hope in the next couple of weeks, a few weeks, we're going to have a decision. And based on the merits of the merger, nothing has changed. We believe that this is the best for U.S., for consumers, and for competition. Okay. Marcelo Clark, thank you for joining us this morning. Thank you. Appreciate it. Great to see you. Yeah. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. Tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 a.m. Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, subscribe to Squawk Pod. It's free and it's available wherever you listen. If you like what you hear, have suggestions, or you just want to say hello, send us a tweet at Squawk CNBC. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. Are clear. Thanks, guys. This podcast is supported by FedEx. Dear small and medium businesses, no one wants happy customers more than you do. That's why FedEx offers you picture proof of delivery, packageless and paperless returns, as well as weekend home delivery to 98% of the U.S. on Saturday and 50% on Sunday. See the FedEx service guide for delivery information. FedEx Ground service is also faster to more locations than UPS Ground. See what FedEx can do for your business. Absolutely, positively, FedEx.